Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. We are back very quickly, and of course in studio with me today is Austin Parr from Discount Tackle. But we're going to go right to the phones, and also we're going to be joined from Tightline Outdoors by Devin Menino. Good morning, Devin. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well. You know, we're so fortunate not to have Nate. I mean that you could join us this morning because <laughs> Nate couldn't. Uh, I just, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. But Nate's up trying to figure out how he's going to fill that cheap tag. I know he is. So That's right. And I actually just got back down the hill. I was uh, looking for elk this this morning, so well, you know, I, we're we're going to talk fishing, Devin. But uh, Austin's yeah. a big time hunter. Definitely. I've done a lot of hunting. We cover a lot of hunting on the show. I just did an article in the Denver Post. And by the way, folks, if you miss my article, the best way to follow my article and my column is to go to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook because. The version that gets on my Facebook page always has all the links. Sometimes the one in the app, and obviously the one in print, doesn't have the links to the other information. But we really talked about you can't just get ready for hunting, Devin, right? You have to stay ready. That's right. I mean, it's a it's a year-round chore to stay in shape, you know, stay on the animals, see what they're doing, and, and build a pattern year-round more than just going up the week of the the actual tag of your hunt. Right, and I tell people if that's all you can do is go up just before, I'm not telling you not to hunt, but set your expectations accordingly. And, you know, but the one thing you need to do is make sure you you understand your equipment and you can safely handle whatever, a firearm or bow, whatever you're hunting with. It's as simple as that. Go out and shoot your bow, shoot your gun at the range, whatever you need to do just to stay comfortable with the equipment. For now, sure. now, my note here says you want to talk about kokanee salmon fishing at 11 Mile. And I got to tell you, I'm glad to see this come up as a subject because we had the gill lice incident a few years back. The kokanee were just in severe decline. But my understanding is we're seeing recovery and 11 Mile is actually coming back as a fairly significant kokanee fishery again. It is. And, you know, some of the lakes are still seeing are, you know, still suffering from that gill lice. Uh, Williams Fork, for example, really hasn't recovered yet. Uh, the numbers are still down. But I heard Austin talking about the resources the CPW puts out as far as their stocking reports. And you can really follow that and see what lakes they're stocking and, you know, go go off that to where good populations are going are going to be. And 11 Mile is one of those lakes. And it's really shaping up to be a good fall for kokanee fishing up there. I've actually, I've been trying to get away from the heat of the city here and do more fishing up in the mountains. And 11 miles has been great for kokanee. Uh, it, it's really good to see them come back. Now, you're, t- you're fishing kokanee. Now, a lot of people always associate kokanee with the fall when they're making a run. There's some snagging. Personally, I don't snag them. I mean, I'm, people, it's, people do it. They catch fish. I like to go after them with a fly rod or just a rod and reel, even in the fall when they're running, because it's just so much fun. And but, effective. Oh, it is <laughs> yeah. effective. It really is. But that's not the only time. Right now, now mostly I assume what you're doing now, you're doing from a boat. But you're talking about kokanee now instead of those red ones people are used to seeing in the fall. These are nice silver fish with red meat, and, and they put up quite a fight. Oh, yeah, they're beautiful chrome fish right now. And, yeah, so we're actually we're fishing from a boat, and we're I'm using downriggers. If you don't have downriggers, lead core can be effective as well. And basically these kokanee, they, they really strive for 53-degree water temp. That's, that's where they like to be. So early in the morning, 
the fish are going to be up a little bit higher in the column and you're just using your electronics and, and trying to find the schools of fish. But as, as the heat of the day uh, comes on and the surface temperature warms up, it's going to push those fish a little bit deeper. And so you just adjust your lines accordingly. It's just like anything, you know, paying attention to the details, whether or not you're walleye fishing or kokanee fishing is truly the, the difference between having a lot of success and, and struggling. It's, and it's great. We're, you know, we're, we're probably catching 10 to 12 fish per trip out there. Uh, we're probably losing just as many of those, as Terry mentioned. They do fight pretty good, and they've got pretty soft mouths. So you, you lose just as many as you catch, but it's a lot of fun. You starting to see any fish out there schooling up at all already for any vertical jigging quite yet? I haven't seen the masses, the big schools that I would target uh, jigging, but I would suspect in the next few weeks here, as they stage in a little bit shallower water and they school up, get ready to run, I think you'll be able to get into those four-year-olds jigging. Uh, yeah, Devin, I was just going to ask you what year class you're seeing and how, what kind of size they've got. Yeah, right now at 11 mile, I would say they're the two to three-year-olds. They're, they're in the, anywhere from 12 to 15-inch range. And and so you know they're they're getting to be a nice sized fish, but a great eating. But well, they are such great table fare. Great eating. I uh, actually had a couple had some buddies in town this uh, the last couple of days and took them up kokanee fishing and we got to enjoy a meal and they were fantastic. Oh, they they really are. So you're out there and uh, right now it's pretty strictly a boat trolling kind of bite. Any other lakes that you've heard the kokanee are doing well on? Uh, Wolford Reservoir is going to be a good good lake to target and uh, blue mesa they've just been catching big fish i mean i their three and four year old fish are, are world class right now i've heard that blue mesa is doing well when you go out are there particular baits or lures you're fond of so right now our our go-to bait is going to be red wedding rings uh for the kokanee cowbells are actually a, a pretty effective way as well i like to use lighter gear so i don't like to pull cowbells but the guys that are doing it are are catching quite a few fish no i but, uh, the, the wedding rings have been the most effective i i agree with you kokanee if you're getting those bigger ones but when you're in the little bit smaller ones if you can get them with the lighter gear it's just that much more fun and and you're right about the soft mouth because you better have a flexible rod rod's important for kokanee it is well, absolutely I, so a little a little tip that i do with my downriggers when i can't get them to go on anything else and they want that cowbell is i'll actually run a 40 50 foot liter of 50 pound test and i'll i'll tie the cowbell directly to my cannonball weight and off the off the cowbell i'll put my downrigger clip on that and then i'll attach my main fishing line to that uh downrigger release clip so basically what happens is you're just you're just running two feet behind the cowbell at that point but when a fish hits you're releasing the rod and now the cowbell stays on the on the downrigger ball, and you're fighting the fish. Well, that sounds like a great you know a, a great technique there because, like you said, you know when you when you're when you're fighting a you know a twelve or fifteen inch fish with that big set of cowbells and all that resistance, you know you it, it just kind of feels like real in, you know in a, in a wet sock or something like that, exactly. kind of like when you're running lead core at times. Exactly. So that's that's a good trip to do when uh, good tip to do when when fishing gets tough and you have to use that cowbell. So what other kind of fishing? I know you guys are on a bunch of waters, Devin, and the kokanee are... I'm so glad to see kokanee coming back in 11 Mile, and, of course, they really have rebounded in Blue Mesa, and hopefully what we're going to see from that, because the egg-taking has been so successful, we're going to see increased stocking and give them a chance to recover in a lot of other waters. I know there's been a slight recovery in uh, uh, Granby, not not to the extent of, uh, like, Willow Creek, but we're seeing more and more, and it's just another fish that adds a great... Uh, great opportunities here in Colorado, but what else are you guys seeing in the lakes you guys guide in? 
So as far as uh, sticking to the South Park area, the topwater pike fishing at Spinney has been great first thing in the morning. Uh, basically just throwing big buzz baits on the surface has, has been effective. Uh, when, when you're doing this, you got to make sure the fish hits before you set the hook. We see our clients, a lot of times you see a blow up and you want to set the hook before the fish even has it in its mouth. And, uh, you're going to lose a lot of fish that way, but so you know, that's been great. That's common with bass fishermen, but pike fishermen yeah. even worse because they're so nearsighted and half the time <laughs> they miss the bait the first two or three times they strike at it anyway. Yeah, and, and, sure. and you get a, a 20, 25 pound pike and it makes such an explosion. <laughs> it's hard for almost anybody not to pull back on the rod. Absolutely. Uh, so then up there, so Antero and Spinney both for trout fishing have been great. Antero all year round, I'm sure you've heard Nate talk about it. Uh, but so far this year, it's, it's just been phenomenal. And uh, basically just casting spoons, uh, Tasmanian Devils, cast masters at Antero, we're fishing pretty shallow, two to four feet of water. And uh, basically, it's just a rip, rip, pause, rip, rip, pause, and, and they're going to hit it pretty aggressively. And it's a lot of fun. At Spinny, we're seeing quite a bit of weed growth coming up where the surface is matted with weeds. And we're fishing just outside the weeds and eight to eight to 12 feet of water. And then probably, right, and they're probably cruising that edge. If you don't see fish immediately, doesn't necessarily mean you have to move. That's right. Keep on them. Try different depths. Let the let the bait sink a little bit and then start ripping it in. Now, very good. What about some of the uh, warm water species? Yeah, so locally, uh, I'm sure Austin will uh, fill you in on some of these too, but Cherry Creek walleye fishing has been good as far as jigging goes. You can either use a traditional jig with a nightcrawler on it or uh, blade baits casting or vertical have been very effective. And then Chatfield actually had a great uh, shad spawn this summer, and we're seeing a lot of bait fish there, and the fishing is finally come, coming back, and it's great to see. And uh, that being said, trolling has been most effective out there. More in the, in the low light hours, uh, you can still get some fish jigging that are sitting on structure during the day, but as night approaches, those fish are going to move off structure, and they're going to suspend and chase bait fish around. And uh, pulling planer boards with shad-style baits can be very effective there. How about Aurora? I, we haven't talked about Aurora Reservoir. What do you see in there? So Aurora, actually the, the perch fishing has is really turning on. Uh, they're starting to school up in the deeper water. So again, using your electronics and staying on top of the schools, you can do uh, drop shot style rigs with uh, two or three hooks and just a you know, quarter inch piece of night crawler. You know what has turned my perch fishing around has made it so much of I do it more and it's so much easier is having spot lock on my trolling oh, motor. Because yes. <laughs> yeah. a lot of times I find those perch in 20, 30 feet of water, especially out at Aurora or even deeper and getting an anchor in place than trying to refine the school where I can just hit that on the, that's been one of the most incredible innovations that I think in fishing in the last few years. Oh, yes. We're pretty spoiled these days with the toys that we have on our boats. No, you really are. Uh, any last-minute tips, Devin, then we're going to let you go. Uh, so next weekend we have a carp tournament coming up, and that's going to be at Johnson Reservoir. Uh, that's at Clement Park, uh, July 28th. For more information on that, you can go to tightlineoutdoors.com. I believe it's $75 a person for that, and uh, registration will close on Thursday. Well, I'll tell you what, and don't poo-poo carp, because I tell you what, <laughs> if you want to get your string pulled, those fish will pull your string. And they're the number one game fish in Europe. Absolutely. And that, this this uh, tournament, it isn't a boat fishing tournament. It's all European-style fishing. It's, it's a lot of fun.
No, it'll be good. And you know what? People need to come out and see it, even if they don't participate. Because once you see what people do with this European-style carp fishing, a lot of people are going to forget about trout. <laughs> these, these are dedicated anglers. I, I do uh, recommend you come out and take a look at it. It's pretty interesting how they fish for them. And, of course, information on all this, Devin, tightlineoutdoors.com and on Facebook. Absolutely. Follow us there. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Devin. Great information. Take care. You bet. Devin echoed a lot of the stuff you and I covered earlier, but it dealt some of it a little different perspective. And I, and I like that because when we're talking fishing, I do a lot of panels at ISE. Definitely. And there just isn't an absolute. Definitely we, not. We yeah. speak from our experience, what we've done, what we've learned, and our strengths. Somebody mm-hmm. can be on the same body water, and this is so true, tournament fishing, you see it all the time, where somebody's being very successful doing one type of fishing, and everybody thinks that's the pattern, they get up to the scale and found out somebody else was doing something a little different and beat them. Exactly. And, you know, I always talk about that down there at the store, too. You know, people ask, okay, well, what should I use? Well, you know, using what you're confident in is going to be an important choice. So, you know, obviously making sure that it's the the right general pattern for the time of year, but each one of these guides that guide on these different lakes all do it a little bit differently and everybody's very successful. And it's very cool to to have a network like that to talk to and to talk on the radio like this because people can really, you know, find the insight from everyone and, you know, find out what works for them. Well, and I always just say that back in, and I'm older than a dinosaur, but probably the two most influential people on my fishing career were Rick Klun and Greg Klajo up in Minnesota. And you couldn't have two, and and Al Linder, probably those three. Yeah. You couldn't have more diametrically opposed people (laughs) and their approach to fishing. Uh, Yet, they all had incredible strengths. Absolutely. And they had insight. And you learned something from each of them. And it it was just amazing to me. I was so blessed to, you know, to be part of actually what was the birth of modern day fishing. And uh, I'll tell you how old I am. Bill Dance used to win. Because he had a 75-horsepower motor, and he could outrun the rest of us, okay? <laughs> you know? But, but you know, being part of that, but you you learn early on that there's no absolutes. Definitely not. That there's, there's things we've learned from our experience that work. Take those into your repertoire, mold them, find your strengths, and then, you know, learn something from everybody you fish with. It's huge. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors uh, is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Sure. Andy Clef here to tell you about SCL Mortgage Special Circumstance Lending, locally owned and operated. And if you're self-employed or work on commission, this is the place for you. Bank statement loans are back. You don't need tax returns to do your loan. In some cases, the bank statement loans can be done with credit scores in the low 600s. MySpecialMortgage.com on the web, 303-790-2222. The phone number, SCL Mortgage, licensed by the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies, number 120. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. So this is Austin Parr in studio with Terry Wickstrom, and we're going to be going right to the phones, and we have Joe Kissel on the line. He is a local area guide. Joe, how are you? Good. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing fantastic. Doing great. We really appreciate you coming on. So, you know, Terry and I were talking earlier about everything from some advanced walleye trolling, you know, even some stalker trout options that we're going to have across the state. But the other thing that that we've kind of neglected to to mention a little bit is is a smallmouth bass in some of these lakes. Now, you guide on Chatfield Reservoir. What are you seeing out there for some of these smallmouth bass? You know, for right now, the smallmouth bass 
smallmouth bass fishing is fantastic. Uh, getting a lot of fish out early, uh, throwing a lot of topwater baits and uh, some spooks as well as some poppers. And then when you switch into that kind of midday routine, we're getting a lot on tube jigs and Texas rigging craw baits. Um, as well as uh, style baits as well. So, you know, I'm, I'm out there guiding a lot, and, you know, I know you are as well. And, and those smallmouth are a, a great break from some of those walleyes. And even though there's a lot of shad in some of these lakes, they're still biting pretty well right now, aren't they? Absolutely. The fish are biting fantastic. We're averaging about 30 a day. Nice. So what type of areas are you, are you finding these fish mostly? You know, if someone's going out there in, in a boat per se, we'll start off with, you know, where would you head out and, and target if you were to be, you know, trying to fish at some of these local area lakes? You know, I've been targeting a lot of the, the rock, uh, rocky areas, uh, rocky points are nice. Even the, the dam at Chatfield, uh, real nice rocky dam it's a nice really shallow grade i mean you find those smallmouth in about six to four feet of water just uh chasing down crawfish in those areas nice so you know can someone without a boat go in and target some of these fish as well absolutely yeah it's as simple as walking down the dam and throwing things like uh senko worms and like uh, also like i was talking tube jigs and there are spooks right along the dam most of these fish we're catching are in about two to three foot foot of water Nice. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we see that all the time out there this time of year. You know, you'll have fish that are out targeting some of your shad and you'll catch some of your larger fish doing that. But you still have a great population of fish that are right up shallow. You know, are you seeing any fish eating any crawfish or, or are they spitting up mostly shad right now? Right now, I'm seeing them uh, spit up a lot of crawfish, but I have seen some smallmouth starting to chase down some shad schools. I actually did see uh, a shad school get kind of interrupted by a smallmouth yesterday. It was a pretty cool sight. Joe, this is Terry. What kind of size? You know, people think of bass fishing in Colorado. They don't realize how good our largemouth and smallmouth are. What kind of size are you seeing, and what are some of the other bodies of water, you smallmouth? You know, I've been out at uh, Aurora... Uh, recently as well, but I mean, it's kind of varied in a chatfield. Um, you can get them as small as about six inches, but I've also caught some nice fish at about the 18 inch range as well. Um, Aurora, I'm finding that I'm catching some little bit nicer quality fish. Average is about the, the 12 to 15 inches. Yeah, you know, and, and Chatfield, there's a lot better numbers at Chatfield, and although you're not catching quite as many large fish out at Aurora, or as many fish in general out at Aurora, your average fish certainly is a little bit bigger out there, and you can have some great action on, on other species as well, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Those smallmouth are a very fun, fun way to take out uh, kids. It's a great way to get on a really hot bite right now. So if you were to be taking a kid out there, you know, we, we've kind of gone on a little bit of a theme of some of these stalker trout. How would you approach taking, you know, a kid out there and, and trying to just catch a bunch of fish with those smallmouth? You know, I would go about it in uh, taking a slip bobber rig um, and dropping down a, a leech or a minnow. Um, that's been a fantastic way just to catch a lot of numbers of fish. Um, and even I've been taking a small 16-inch jig head and using that as my weight. And I've actually been getting that down through some of the smaller smallmouth and actually finding some little bit bigger ones. So getting that jig down right close to the bottom. You know, have you tried any gulp at all? You know, we a lot of times will we'll go out there and, and use a, a heck of a lot of gulp as well to try and catch some of these fish. Gulp minnows have been fantastic out there. Um, I've also been using some uh, uh, power bait jigs as well. Um, but the, 
the Gulf has been fishing fantastic. You know, and you mentioned some of those Sankos as well. You know, any any people that, that are out there listening, you know, the Sankos are great when you're out on some of that that heavy structure. You know, some of those those smaller jigs and and you know hard baits like a like a rattle trap or a you know any of your square bills can get pegged in some of those rocks. But if you adjust that slip bobber and and have your your weight up above the bottom or like I mentioned with that Sanko, it doesn't tend to get snagged up nearly as much. Now a wacky rig Sanko can be absolutely fantastic out there and i'm sure you've seen it as well but you can catch a heck of a lot of fish absolutely so before we let you go here anything else that you're seeing in any other bodies of water that uh folks might want to head out and target um you know i'm also a walleye guide out of cherry creek reservoir too uh the fishing has been very fantastic lately um you know early in those mornings it's a a real hard reactionary bite so we're getting them on jigging wraps and blade baits and then at that afternoon hour, it kind of turns into more of your trolling bite because we're getting a lot of those shad pushing out into the main basin right now. So it kind of all those fish are kind of shifting, transitioning off of that cover, or that structure, and moving into the main basin to chase around those big shad. Certainly echoing what we've been talking about a lot in the show, Terry. So oh, Absolutely. I mean, right now it's still great fishing for a few weeks. Excellent. Absolutely. Yeah, so if uh, anyone wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of you, Joe? Um, give me a phone call down here. You can call the Discount Fishing Tackle where I work um, or at my personal phone number of 303-526-6186. We certainly appreciate you coming down, Joe. Thank you so much, and hopefully we'll continue to have some good success out on the water. Thanks, guys. You have a good day. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. In studio with me is Austin Parr. We've been talking a lot of conventional fishing. Austin, I think we're going to continue with that. But first I want to read, we just got a bulletin from uh, Parks and Wildlife. And it goes, due to high water temperatures, and we've been talking about this all summer. I've had Trout Unlimited on. I've had... Uh, Kirk Dieter from Field and Stream and Trout Magazine, and I covered it. Yep. I covered it with uh, the guys at Blue Quill Angler and the guys down at uh, um, Arc Anglers. Although yep. Arc Angler is a little better because Arkansas has an allocation program where they keep some flows exactly. in the river, and that's an alternative to this. But what's happening, we were worried about the strain on the fish, especially with fishing pressure. And what they're doing is, right now it's voluntarily, voluntary. hopefully it won't become mandatory, but here's what it reads. Due to high water temperature and low flows, we are implementing voluntary fishing closures between 2 p.m. and 12 a.m., which is when the water's the warmest. Yep. It cools down overnight, and you, and people say, well, I fish late in the day. Well, the water's already warm. Exactly. It's too hot. It's early in the day. We're coming off the night. Between 2 p.m. and 12 a.m. on sections of the Eagle River, the Colorado River, Crystal River, and Roaring Fork River in northwestern Colorado, and uh, I'll, and I'll go a little bit further, and I encourage, whether you're a fly fisherman or a conventional fisherman, if you're fishing the rivers this time of the year, carry a thermometer with you. Definitely. I it, sell a bunch of them, and I've been selling a lot of them. You know, a lot of anglers are becoming, you know, conscious of this. And, you know, the other thing to look at, too, is even if it's borderline, you know, maybe fishing with a little bit heavier pound test or a little bit heavier tippet than you normally would and try not to stress those fish out as much, even if the water temperature is still in that, that good range. Yeah, I mean, when it gets much above 60, you get it's 65, tough. 70s almost impossible yep. for them. But if it gets into those 60s, you know what? Move upstream or move to a lake. Exactly. There's lots of alternatives, whether you're a, a trout fisherman or a, any other species. You and I talked earlier in the show 
the high mountain lakes aren't going to be affected. They're not at all. And, you know, there's still some good water in a lot of those streams up there. And particularly up toward, you know, the North Park type drainages, they got a lot of good snowpack up there. And there's some decent flow still. So although some of the, the rivers, you know, down in the valley might be getting a little bit warm, staying up high. And we talked about Joe Wright, you know, going up to State Forest State Park, maybe even Big Creek Lakes, you know, more on the western side of North Park. Right. All of which are in, in range. And you can go and put a boat on some of those lakes. Yeah. You can also go and fly fish the shorelines. You can fly fish the, the outlet areas and, and you yeah. know all your cutthroats basically are done spawning now so you can fish a lot of your inlet streams without having to worry about uh, you know harming some of those those fisheries up there and whether you're doing it conventionally or fly fishing you can have a lot of success and you don't have to stop fishing i mean there's these are these closures on these lower right. parts of these rivers just but protect you, these fish exactly right now. so just adjust your location you know the fishing's still fantastic but just go up higher in these drainages and or you know, maybe a tailwater or tailwater or stay in town i mean a lot of fly fishermen now are shifting toward the bass and the carp fishing carp fishing this time of year is awesome on the fly rod you know i'll do some guide trips for it on the the southern side of cherry creek on some of those those flats per se over oh, there yeah but then the bass fishing in these local ponds there's a ton of guys that are fly fishing for them so if you're out there and you're a fly angler and you don't want to go and hurt some of these fish in some of these these major ra- river drainages go out and get a dahlberg diver or you know a, a big meat whistle from john Barr, and those can be fantastic to strip along the bottom or at the surface and get some explosive strikes just right out your back door i mean you talked about Carp, you know, car, and carp are everywhere. Okay? Oh, yeah. They're everywhere. Um, I, I'm a big fan of people going out. First of all, they're not as easy to catch as people think. <laughs> they're hard. They're very, very smart. They're one of the largest brains of any freshwater yeah. fish. Now, with especially fly fishing. But whether you're fly fishing or conventional fishing, now there's some bait techniques and some less bothered populations that aren't quite as spooky. Yes. But if you do hook up with one, you know, I always... I always talk, you know, people always want to catch that huge brown trout of a lifetime, or they want to catch that big bonefish or a permit, or they want to go and they want to catch that big pike or that giant bass. And if they're not used to catching big fish or the 10-pound walleye, they will pucker up. When they get that fish on, if they've never handled a big fish, you know, if they're, they'll, you'll watch some guy on TV who's saltwater fishing, and they'll start pumping the fish in here, uh-huh. which you don't want to do. You just use your drag when you're warm water or freshwater fishing. You're not trying to, you know, and just... But if you've never played a big fish, you have no idea what the feel is and what you should do. And you go catch a few carp, you're not quite as nervous because if it breaks off or gets away, there's another one. And Uh it wasn't going on your wall anyway. And it'll be so much fun to catch. But it will teach you how to handle and play big fish. Well, the other thing about that, too, on the fly fishing side of things, if you're going to saltwater, you know, getting a lot of good carp fishing in helps with your casting as well. You know, you can perfect that double haul and how that presentation needs to be if you're going after redfish. Didn't help me. (laughs) (laughs) so important though you know having accurate casts we've preached it for years and i know you have as well but accurate casts whether you're conventional fishing or fly fishing is important and carp Carp especially you have about a one or two foot window to lay that big fly in because you've got to intersect it it. and if you get too far in front of them, they may not see it. It'll sink out of the strike zone. Uh-huh. If you get too close, you spook them. Now, the it, other thing is the fly selection, too, on that, going off that exact same thing. You know, you have various fly patterns that a lot of times are tied with dumbbell eyes and tungsten beads, and you have to select, in a spe- specifically a lake situation, a fly that has more of a dubbing or a soft tackle wrap that's covering those beads so that it'll, it falls a lot softer into the water. Those carp are so sensitive to it. Mm-hmm. And if you talk about slapping down on a dry fly trout presentation, it's nothing compared to slapping down 
a fly in front of a carp. And if you do it too hard, that that whole not only the one fish, but the whole school can disappear in a hurry. Oh, and people don't understand watching carp when they're feeding and when they're tailing. Uh-huh. And they're very you need to study it. Uh, Barry Big Reynolds time. and Brad, Brad Beefus years ago wrote a really good book on fly fishing for carp, and it, it was. Uh, um, we had some real real fun when they released that book. But where are some of the waters? I mean, I, I just got through saying carp were everywhere. But um, Bar Lake has a great population of carp. Yep. Probably one of the best. And you don't have to. You can go out in a small craft if you want exactly. out there. Exactly. And the other thing about Bar as well is that when it's on a really high water year, we've had a lot of high water this year out there, but it's starting to get drawn down and it's getting out of those weeds a little bit. When those carp are in the weeds, they're really tough to target. If you can get them down on the mud flats a little bit more, it's a lot better. So like the flats on the southern side of Cherry Creek, can be really good. Bar and Jackson both are famous for their carp fishing. And the cool part about those lakes out there is that, you know, if you're stripping a crawfish pattern or a little bait fish for some of those carp, you'll pick up a wiper or a walleye or or a bass or a crappie. You know, there's multi-species opportunities out there. And in the heat of the summer, we've mentioned it over and over again, these warm water species are not going to be affected by this hot water. And they're, you're not having to worry about killing them like you would some of those trout. So they're much less sensitive and much stronger fish. Well, and uh, another place that's overlooked is 11 mile yeah there's a lot of them up there and at the same rate you throw a crawfish pattern you might catch a carp on one cast and a big rainbow on the next that's what barry reynolds became a carp fisherman because he was fishing trout at 11 mile he kept catching carp one day (laughs) Uh, he might have been fishing pike because he was a big pike fisherman i think he was actually pike fishing and he kept catching these big carp and he just got hooked that's amazing when you hook them and and after him and i did a television show on carp fishing on a fly with him and I and Brad Beefus, the email, well, it wasn't emails back then because this was like a million years ago, <laughs> but the letters and come out, everybody wanted to know where we were fishing. Yeah. And my comment back was, watch, <laughs> watch the techniques. You'll find carp. <laughs> exactly. You know, they're, and they're a great alternative. But, you know, and we mentioned too, because we want to make sure people know, again, I'm going to read this river closure thing again, and it's voluntary, but take this seriously. Due to high water temperatures and low flows, we're implementing a voluntary, and this is from Colorado Parks and Wildlife, implementing voluntary fishing closures between 2 p.m. and 12 a.m. on sections of the Eagle River, the Colorado River, the Crystal River, the Roaring Fork in northwest Colorado. And folks, you can just take a thermometer. These are voluntary. We do, uh, uh, if that water's getting much over 60, find another place to yeah. fish. Go, go higher, to There's lakes, go higher, do some of those things. There's just a lot of alternatives. There's a lot of great fishing going on right now. You can afford to wait till fall. And the fishing, you know, and those, a lot of those rivers have great brown trout. Definitely. And, but then there's, there's other alternatives, too, like I mentioned, the Arkansas River. Call the guys down at Ark Anglers. They're super, super guys to work with yep. down there. And they have, uh, there's a flow allocated flow that goes through the Arkansas that keeps it fishable. Exactly. And, and right now you're going to be getting into hopper dropper oh, season. Fantastic. Oh, I love, well, there's three or four reasons I love it. First of all, I don't have to make a great cast because floppers plop when they hit the water. <laughs> Hoppers plop when they hit the water anyway. With my old eyes, I can see a hopper. Yep. And those brown trout will just destroy just it. Explosive. But I can also do a nice small nymph underneath that and I don't need to have an indicator and weights. So I can yep. use a tungsten. Kirk 
Bean from Kirk's Fly Shop never puts away to use tungsten weighted flies always. Absolutely. For his, he likes keeping it as simple as possible. Definitely. And you know, those tungsten patterns, although slightly more expensive at times, really make it a lot more simple, especially when you're going underneath a big hopper like that can, that can afford to support, you know, a big heavy tungsten fly. You know, you put a little tungsten micro stone down there, or one of my favorites is a split case PMD, also from Solitude Fly Company, but I like a lot of their, a lot of their patterns. But, you know, dropping that down on a little longer dropper on some of that pocket water is deadly this time of year. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us. He's going to talk about how to approach some of these lakes with the falling water conditions. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You know, I know Ronnie's waiting, but this is an Eagles song. One of my favorite. Ronnie's just going to have to listen for a second here. Take it to the limit. All right. Let's. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Um, Austin Parr from Discount Tackle is in studio with me. And now we are going to continue talking fishing as we go to the phones. And we're joined by Ronnie Castiglione. Good morning, Ronnie. You know, Terry, I don't think Austin was born yet when that music was, you know, popular back in the day. So you got to play something a little more modern. When you, you know what? That like that music and, and never and dies, Ronnie. That is some <laughs> of the, that music is immortal. What's still old comes back new again. It's like the cycle. Hey, the Eagles are thing. still the number one selling band in U.S. history. <laughs> so get over well, it. Get over it. <laughs> Get over it. How are you guys doing down there? You guys having a good show? We are, but time goes fast, and we're looking at how nice it is and thinking we should be on the water. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be headed to the lake here pretty quick myself as well. And, uh, you know, what I wanted to talk to you guys about today, Terry, is, uh, you know, especially here in northern Colorado, it's that time of year where water levels are dropping fast. So, uh, you know, it's hot out. People need the water for irrigation and, and this and that. And so they are sucking water out of our reservoirs. And anybody that's been up to Horseshoe Reservoir recently or been on Boyd Lake, uh, you can definitely tell that the water is coming out of those those lakes fast. Uh, Horseshoe right now, for example, is probably dropping about a foot a day, Terry. Wow. Um, they had to uh, turn the pump off again for some uh, maintenance stuff that they were doing as far as the inlet structure and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, so once that pump goes off, that water's still going out of that lake. Uh, it very easily drops a foot a day. And so um, Boyd's probably dropping maybe five to six inches a day. So the water is coming out of our reservoirs quick. And that may be the thing that people struggle with the most. Here you, you, know, you, you know, Ronnie, we teased that in the very first segment. We were talking that coming from the Midwest, this time of the year, I used to love it because I could pattern the fish. The bait fish were already spawned. They were big. The fish were in their summer patterns. And I could almost count on those summer patterns for four to six weeks of similar fishing. I said, but then people move to Colorado and they think it's the same way until they see that they're on a different lake every day they go out. And we teased that you were going to give us some tips on that. So how are you approaching it, Ronnie? 
just these things you definitely want to keep in mind. Uh, you know, for the newbies, for the people that aren't familiar with the bodies of water or kind of new to fishing, that kind of thing, you know, how do you, how do you tell that the water's dropping uh, when you get to a reservoir? Uh, you know, there's some telltale signs that you want to look for right away, Terry. Um, you can spot that the mud or the banks of the lakes, maybe there's, there's a couple feet of muddy water uh, below the water level. That's always a good t- sign that the water's dropping. If there's rocks or any kind of hard structure on the lake that has moss growing on it, if that moss is exposed, if you look at the water and now you're seeing green moss for a foot or two up above on the rocks, that definitely tells you that the lake dropped fast, and that usually means the lake drops overnight, Terry. So, you know, you want to pay attention to that. You want to you want to know that the lakes are dropping. You can also get online, and there's several sources online to check water flows and water levels with the water uh, people here in the state, and you can tell what's going in, what's coming out of a reservoir. So, you know, pay attention to that kind of thing, Terry. But, but the big thing that's going to happen is is that you know, fish are going to move, Terry. Simple as that. Uh, this time of year, when water temperatures are really warm like they are, fish tend to want to settle into a particular depth where they're in a comfortable zone as far as the water temperatures go. When the water starts dropping out, those fish are going to move. They're going to pull off that hump you were fishing. They're going to move off that point. They're going to move to a deeper one. They're going to move to a deeper hump. They're going to move, Terry. So you've got to understand that fish are, uh, fish are definitely on their bicycles and they're moving. And the other thing that we see a lot of times this time of year that people struggle with is we get a lot of suspended fish when the water's dropping as well, Terry. So, you know, earlier in the year, late spring, early summer, for example, on horse tooth, the smallmouth were all, you know, pretty much pinned to the bottom, Terry. So it was about going out there and, and dragging a tube jig very, very slow in order to get those fish to bite because they were all looking down. Now you get out there and you dip around the lake and you look at your electronics, it, you don't see a lot of fish laying on the bottom per se. You see them suspended a foot, maybe two feet, maybe three feet off the bottom. You see them out on the points, but they're not pinned down to the points on the rocks. They're suspended out there. So they may be over 40 feet of water, you know, but they may be just 10 feet off the bottom right now on, on a horse tooth. So you got to pay attention to those kind of things, and then you have to adjust your presentations accordingly, Terry. You know, Ronnie, I, a couple points I want to really reemphasize what you just said, because uh, I, I went back 20, 25 years ago, I think, for In Fisherman, I wrote an article about suspended fish and dropping water, and the common... Uh, the common belief and the common logic is dropping water pulls fish away from the bank and rising water puts them into the bank because a lot of bait ends up there and there's cover. And But people used to think that, and this is exactly what you said, that you got it right, that they used to think those fish moved down the point. And we found out doing some studies with divers when I was writing for in fishermen that they didn't necessarily move down the point. They moved out horizontally from the structure and they were suspended off the structure over deeper water still moving up to feed but the instincts told them don't get caught in shallow water and we would see those fish doing just exactly that so how do you target them ronnie well, you know, this time of year is definitely, for me, I like to power fish, Terry, so I'm going to cover a lot of water as much as possible and try to find some active fish. So something like a crankbait, you know, once water starts falling out of a reservoir here in summer, uh, cranking is an excellent way to get out there and cover a lot of water, make contact with fish, and then, uh, you know, be able to be more successful. Um, there's some other techniques that are really good that you can dial in for fishing through the water column and covering multiple depths. Um, you know, if 
they don't seem like they want to chase. And on certain days we get out there, and especially when there's no wind and there's not a lot of boat traffic, uh, they don't end up wanting to chase a whole heck of a lot. So they end up kind of, you have to approach it real finesse. So a drop shot can be a very good approach this time of year, Terry, um, for that kind of a thing. You just end up having to make the, the weight much farther from the hook to get that bait to suspend up higher. So earlier in the year we were maybe doing, you know, six inches of tagline going down to the weight on the drop shot rig. This time of year, Terry, it's pretty common for me to be running two to maybe three feet of line down to my weight on my drop shot rig so that I'm, I'm putting that bait up above the bottom right at the depth I'm seeing the fish. Um, jigging, you know, you can definitely still catch fish on jigs. It's probably still the most effective way to catch fish up at Horsetooth right now. But the way you're working those tube jigs or the way you're working those gulp minnows, you need to change it up a little bit. I tend to go heavier weights this time of year, and I tend to start really stroking or snapping those jigs up off the bottom so that I'm ripping that jig vertically up off the bottom with a hard stroke of the rod, getting that tube jig to snap maybe six, seven feet in the air, and then following it down as it falls. And, and usually the bites will come this time of year on the fall, Terry. So you gotta you got to pay attention to that kind of a thing. Jigging spoons start coming into play for us this time of year as well. Classic pattern that we run up on horse tooth is that we – we throw jigging spoons or even big flutter spoons out on the main lake points this time of year to catch those suspended fish that have slid out like you were talking about. Those spoons will fall right through them. And so you just kind of pay attention to your electronics. you got to know the rate of fall for your spoon, make a cast out there and count it down and get it to depth and then rip it up vertically, kind of yo-yoing that thing back to the boat. You can also fish straight vertically this time of year with those spoons as well, Terry. But we, we tend to see this time of year on horse do that a lot of times if you get right on top of the fish. The fish are very, very pressured. And so they don't want to bite. They spook away from things that drop to them when you're right on top of them on the boat. So a lot of times we're fishing those vertical presentations, but we're casting them. And so on a drop shot or a spoon, we're making a we're making a good long cast out over the point and fishing it back to the boat as opposed to fishing it straight up and down, Terry. Um, top water is the other thing. That's an excellent approach because these suspended fish, these moving fish, top water, especially early in the morning or low light conditions, you get some cloud, that kind of a thing. Uh, top water is an excellent way to locate fish. They'll come screaming up and smallmouth are notorious for coming up. You know, they may be suspended 15, 20 feet deep over that point like you're talking about, Terry. They'll come all the way to the surface a lot of times to get those poppers or those walking baits. So that's an excellent approach. And, you know, just kind of play with those sort of presentations and understand that you're not going to catch fish the same way you caught them a month ago, Terry. All right. All that sounds good, Ronnie. Um, We got to let you go, but tell them where they can book a guide trip with you. Officialthinker.com. We are still booking trips here for summer, and we're getting getting people on the books here for fall. Uh, Officialthinker.com is probably the best way. You can find me, Ronnie uh, Castiglione, on Facebook, or you can get a hold of Chad Chance, and he'll get a hold of me. So there's a lot of ways to do it, but Officialthinker.com is the way to do it, Terry. All right. Thank you, my friend. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Terry Austin. Y'all have a good one. You bet. Thank you. By the way, speaking of Chad Lachance, uh, he will be hosting the show next week. I'm going to be on assignment in uh, Paso Robles, California, tasting wine. Oh, did I? Fishing. Of course I'll be fishing. No, I'll be on assignment. I'll be out of town. And Chad's going to do the show. And we move back next week to our 9 o'clock time frame. So 9 to 11, we're back to next week, which is my favorite time frame. So hopefully you'll follow us. Follow Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. You're going to know the time changes. You're going to know every time we put a video up on our YouTube channel. You're going you're gonna to get a direct link to my column in the Denver Post. You're going to get 
what's coming up on this show. You're going to get pertinent information from Parks and Wildlife. That's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Follow us. Austin, thank you for joining us today. It just goes by too fast. It certainly does, Terry, but I certainly appreciate you having me on. But, you know, a lot of times we do these and we got to make it quick, but, uh, you know, there's so many things you and I would love to share with people. Absolutely. And then two hours, it's just, you can't. But, you know, get a hold of us. Get out in the water with you guys. They can find you at Discount Tackle. Give them the address. Yep, I'm at 2645 South Santa Fe Drive in Denver, so we're six blocks south of Evans. I'm down there a lot of times in the afternoons because we're getting after it guiding this time of year. All right. So, with, you know, Austin, a great resource. He's right here in town. Of course, we've got a lot of great resources on this show. Join us every Saturday now from 9 to 11. I want to thank Karen for keeping me on the straight and narrow, Kyle for making this show run, Austin for joining us, and uh, tune in every Saturday. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour on 104.3 The Fan.